What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you today with our Dynasty Startup ADP Values by Round. Today, we're going to cover rounds one to five, basically to celebrate the fact that we are releasing our top 200 overall Superflex rankings and one quarterback rankings to our Patreon. We figured we would go through and talk about some of the biggest values in each round, some of the biggest busts in each round, and we're going to do this, you know, round by round, as many as you guys want us to do. Today, we'll do one to five. You know, in the next couple of days, we'll do five, uh, six to 10, and then maybe we'll do, you know, 10 on or 11 on or something like that at some other point. So if you guys enjoy this video at any point, as always, go down to the bottom of the video, hit the like button, it helps us out, helps us grow, helps us out tremendously. We really appreciate it. Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. Leave a comment down below and make sure to go follow us over on TikTok. We're going to start posting regular content over there as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and the premise of today's video, again, we talk about, you know, startup mocks that we do with you guys, live streams that we do with you guys. Actually recently launched our full top 200s over on our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto. Go check that out. Link is in the description. So we thought with the finalization of our top 200 players, our best aim, our best advice for you guys is how to attack those rounds. Who are your best values? Who are your you know, worst bust relative to our rankings comparative to ADP. Again, it's going to be a fun video to kind of give you guys a grasp as to what the dynasty market currently looks like and how we can capitalize on it. All right. So before we get into it, as always, got to hit the intro. All right, so uh, in terms of the ADP for today's video, again, we could have pulled some from DLF, we could have pulled some from Keep Trade Cut, but the ADP that I've actually found to be most consistent with the drafts I've been in, the drafts you've been in, the drafts that we typically see is actually tracked from Adiko FF over on Twitter. Give him a follow. I'll actually link him in the description or Corey will link him in the description. But this is a, a very, very up-to-date list as to exactly what type of values we should be seeing in our drafts. And Although it's very, very accurate, there are still a lot of names in here that myself and Corey will have gripe with in terms of relative value. Right. So we're going to be doing this from a super flex perspective, obviously, yes. because we mostly play. I only play in super flex leagues. If you guys play in one quarterback leagues, I mean, it probably won't be as helpful to you, but it is still helpful in terms of uh, the position players where they're going in drafts. We're going to basically talk about each player that we have. We're each going to have like a value or a guy that's you know undervalued then we're each going to have a guy that's a bust or overvalued and kind of talk about where we have them in our rankings versus where they're actually going in a, a Deco's, um ADP. And like we said, we were going to do this with keep trade cut. We were going to do this with DLF, but when we looked at the ADPs, we figured this was the most accurate one that we have. So let's start off with round one again in round one. It's pretty consistent. The names that you're going to see in round one, it's just more so the order that we're going to have a problem with in terms of our values and our busts and stuff like that. So to me, the biggest value, you guys should be able to see the ADP on the screen the biggest value for me is, is Lamar Jackson. I actually have him as my fourth overall player. He's currently going off the board as the eighth overall player in this ADP sample that we have here with Lamar Jackson. I mean, the Konami code quarterback is, is only defined by Lamar Jackson. He is like the dictionary definition of the Konami code quarterback at his best. He can put up 25, 29 points per game at the QB position. And because of, you know, injuries in recent years, because, you know, since his MVP season in 2019, he's dealt with some things. People are kind of forgetting about him a little bit. And I say forgetting about him. He's still a first round pick, but he should be, you know, realistically as much of a case for the 101 as he has for, you know, just being a top five pick in general. So the fact that he's going at eight here, I think is just way, way too undervalued. He's a guy that I'm consistently taking as soon as those top three quarterbacks are off the board. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to me because people are going to point out, uh, 
Oh, in that pinnacle season, you know, he was elite on the ground. Like, what if, uh, you know, you don't get that ground output? I mean, this is still a guy that in that MVP season was putting up over 20 points per game as a passer. I believe uh, our good friend Dynasty AIM, Ian, actually said he averaged 21.9 passing points per game. So this Fugaz that, you know, Lamar can't contribute in fantasy as a passer is completely overblown. And we know the inherent upside that he has as a rusher. We're talking about one of the only threats in the NFL that can pass for 3,500 yards. It can also rush for 1,000 yards. Being able to get him at the 108 right now is a travesty. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, a couple of our overvalued players that, I mean, yours particularly are actually going ahead of Lamar Jackson, but Getting that amount of lead upside, getting a 25-year-old quarterback, and I don't understand the hate on Lamar Jackson. I think it's gone way too far. Right, and just because I feel like somebody's going to comment it, uh, rushing quarterbacks are no more likely to get injured than regular pocket quarterbacks. Our, our friend Edwin Porras of Fantasy Points has done studies on this. It's not necessarily indicative of getting injured. And when you speak quickly on Lamar Jackson versus like Joe Burrow, for example, number one, Lamar Jackson's actually younger than Joe Burrow, and yeah. he's going behind him. And number two, Joe Burrow at his best this year is producing middling QB1 numbers, right? Like versus Lamar Jackson at his best, who is far and away the best quarterback in fantasy. Yeah, no, I mean, like, and I don't understand how somebody can say, oh, I would rather Joe Burrow than Lamar Jackson in Dynasty. Like, in a six point per passing touchdown league, it gets a little bit closer in that sure, kind of you you know, realm, it. but you're talking about you know, a, a five to 10 point per game discrepancy in those two guys for a guy that, again, is also younger than Joe Burrow. I'm going to transition into my player, and that's going to be Kyle Pitts, tight end from the Atlanta Falcons. And you are getting a 21-year-old insulated asset that is quite literally untouchable post-startup. We're talking about a player that is going to be, at worst, top three to five production at the most scarce position in fantasy for the next 10 years. Kyle Pitts, as a rookie last year, commanded 110 targets at the tight end position, posted the second most yards amongst tight ends in NFL history, and we're really arguing how high to take him. Like, genuinely speaking, again, the only player that has the win-now appeal to him would be a guy like Mark Andrews, except you're also getting a five-year discrepancy, except you're also getting that inherent elite target share upside that we both believe Kyle Pitts can be. We're talking about the best tight end prospect that has ever come out in the NFL. Fourth overall draft capital, commanded targets as a rookie, clear opportunity to keep commanding targets in the NFL. And again, the fact that you know a couple of the guys that we have as busts are currently going above him, particularly mine, I think is especially egregious. If Kyle Pitts is going at the 112, if say you're picking at the 112 of your dynasty draft and you can get, you know, Kyle Pitts and one of the quarterbacks we're going to be talking about in the round two range, A plus start to your draft. Yeah, especially in a tight end premium. This is like Absolutely. regular non-tight end premium uh, ADP, but like we're talking about a dude that scored one touchdown last year playing for the 26th highest scoring offense in the league without Calvin Ridley. Now they have Drake London. And again, we're firmly in the camp of, you know, rising tide raises all ships. If the offense gets better, you know, Marcus Mariota is probably not long for that situation. He's eventually going to have a quarterback upgrade probably in next year's draft class. So all we know at this point is it's a top five pick at tight end who is supremely talented, who has, you know, a thousand yards as a rookie, just needs some touchdown regression. I think Kyle Pitts should be, you know, I have him at like 11 or, or 10. So I have him a little bit higher than this, but 
I do think he is firmly entrenched as an untouchable asset post startup, like you said. Because if you try and trade for Kyle Pitts, like you it's, gotta, it's you have to also pay for him. You have to give him yeah. multiple first round picks, maybe you know George Kittle in return, and also like a young receiver. Like it is impossible to go but, acquire Kyle Pitts. I mean, aside from the top six quarterbacks for us, uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that can rarely even be had for. 2023 first and a 2023 second like you're paying three plus first for a guy like Kyle Pitts and when you're comparing that to a couple of the guys that are listed ahead of him like are we even sure they're that they're worth more than two firsts no it's 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 definitely tough and let's transition right now into the bus I would say that these guys aren't bus right they're they're first round picks we're still like we still like them from a dynasty perspective but we just think they're a little overvalued there's a theme for both of these they're both running backs um and this is going to be probably a theme throughout this entire video yep. but uh, Jonathan Taylor, to me, I have him at 10 versus four where he's currently going. I have to take all these elite quarterbacks over him for starters. And then, you know, if you want to make the case for Jonathan Taylor versus Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or Kyle Pitts, because it's running back, it can be a huge impact on your team. I'll understand it, but I still would take some of those guys, especially the two top wide receivers over, over Jonathan Taylor. So being behind the quarterbacks or being ahead of the quarterbacks is really the, the, the sticking point for me. I can't take. Jonathan Taylor over Lamar Jackson, over Kyler Murray, even Joe Burrow, and even, you know, Deshaun Watson, who's not even in this round of ADP that we're going to talk about next round. So uh, Jonathan Taylor to me, yes, he's a great elite 22, 23 year old running back, but he's still a running back, right? Like he could be, you know, used up by the end of his rookie contract. And that longevity factor is why I lean towards those young wide receivers, the young quarterback, or maybe Kyle Pitts. For sure. When it comes to Jonathan Taylor, his ADP as the number four player, is egregious. It's egregious. Like genuinely speaking, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson have just as much inherent upside at the quarterback position, only that you're getting 10 to 15 years of shelf life versus maybe four to five. Genuinely, like of, of elite shelf life. Taking Jonathan Taylor over any of those quarterbacks makes no sense to me. And you kind of mentioned, you know, you get into an, a conversation point when you talk about, you know, Chase, Jefferson, and Pitts, but Again, if we all of those guys have an inherent elite ceilings, I mean, we're talking about league-winning generational type of assets to have on your dynasty teams right now. Give me the ones with the longer shelf life. I love Jonathan Taylor. I will watch football and really, really enjoy watching this guy play, watching this guy run the football. But genuinely, like, unless it's a couple of years ago, a Christian McCaffrey 30 PPR point per game type of ceiling, a running back should not be going in the first round of your dynasty drafts. And that transitions to my player who I get having Jonathan Taylor high because he showed last year, he's got elite, you know, 24 point per game type of ceiling, great player, best pure runner in the league. But Najee Harris being in the first round of dynasty ADP is a fugaz. He's my 19th rated player. He's currently ranked 10th overall in ADP and Guys, like I get it. He's got a very, very nice workload. He's got a, a very, very good projectable future for his rookie contract. But we are still talking about a 24-year-old rookie who on a, on 401 opportunities last year wasn't a league-winning asset. What is the upside that we're buying into with Najee Harris? We already know the volume is going to be there. What are we really projecting here that the Steelers offense is going to magically get better within his rookie contract? Because even if worst case scenario, maybe it's a two year, uh, you know, rebuild, if you will, for that Steelers offense, his bull case is what 
1.3 times of like what Joe Mixon did this year at 26 years old, where his value in the dynasty is already inherently going to be lower because of his age, because of his workload, because of the fact that his rookie contract is running out. Investing top 12 capital into a player as volatile from a value standpoint that Najee Harris is, is just a misallocation of draft assets. I mean, guys behind him, Dak, I mean, Dak Prescott, Kyle Pitts, some of those quarterbacks we'll mention in the next round. It just makes no sense to be taking Najee Harris over value insulated assets like those players. Yeah, and even like at running back, you can talk about Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, maybe Brees Hall if you have them up there. I know you have them higher than Najee Harris. Yep. I think with nausea, you also get into the fact, and, and to, to some degree, Jonathan Taylor as well, you get into the fact that you're already forced into a, a competing a win window now. because yes. you have those 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 elite running back assets. We want to maintain flexibility as, as, as long as possible, right? If we can get three, four, five, six rounds without determining whether we're rebuilding or a competing team, that's the ideal scenario to be in in a dynasty draft. And as soon as you pull the trigger on Najee Harris, you're probably pigeonholed into competing, even though he's a young-ish running back because he's a second-year running back. He was an older prospect. He's already into his prime years of the running back position right now. The average age of RB1 seasons is 24 years old, which is how old Najee Harris is currently at this moment, even though he's only a second-year player. So uh, let's move on to the next round here. Round two of ADP. You guys can see it on the screen right now. This one was a little bit harder, I would say, to come up with like a screaming value, but the guy that actually is the highest value for me in terms of my overall rankings, is actually A.J. Brown. I moved A.J. Brown down because I had him as a first-round player when he was on Tennessee. I moved him down a little bit because he you know, now goes to Philadelphia. He's not nearly as high of a you know, target ceiling, I would say, in that offense because he had less target competition in Tennessee. But A.J. Brown, again, I, I talked about it in the Elijah Moore and Devontae Smith video. He's still one of the best five receivers in the NFL. He just got paid that way. Now he has some uh, insulation from a contract standpoint. I think A.J. Brown should have decreased a little bit at wide receiver, but I think the the hate gone a little bit too far uh, so far. So I'm, I'm saying like middle of the second round is where I'm feeling comfortable. 18th overall, pulling the trigger on A.J. Brown. I'm not going to pick him at the end of the first round like I was before, but uh, I don't think he should be falling, you know, to the two, three turn type of area. And if he does, I mean, if you get a, if it's a non third round reversal and you get an elite quarterback, pair him with A.J. Brown and maybe one of the wide receivers in the next round, it, it's a phenomenal start to your draft. Yeah, I I absolutely love AJ Brown as well. My twentieth ranked player, and uh, he commands targets wherever he goes. Yeah, the overall volume in terms of output that we saw in Tennessee wasn't adequate, so his overall tar raw targets was never high. But this is still a player that was commanding over twenty five percent target share in the last couple of years when he's been healthy. When he is on the field, he commands targets with some of the best receivers in the league. So, although you know I have to quote unquote support a uh, new Philadelphia Eagle, I definitely agree that. AJ Brown should not be a player in terms of the players around him falling to the 24th overall pick right now. So last thing I'll say about AJ Brown too, is that the downgrade in target potential shouldn't be as big as some people might view it to be, because it's not like he's going from exactly. the Kansas city chiefs, the Buffalo bills that throw the ball 650 times a season, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, some team like that to a team that throws the ball 500 times a year. Like that's a major downgrade. He went from an already run heavy offense to another run heavy offense. Yep. And yeah, you know, the target competition is a little bit better in Philadelphia, but target hierarchies, we talk about it all the time. AJ Brown knocks the target upside of Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith first and foremost, not the other way around. He's going to go in there and command 24, 25, 26% of the targets. If that end only ends up being 115, 125 targets on the season, we've seen AJ Brown produce wide receiver one numbers with that low of volume before. 
transitioning to the next player um, is actually the first name on this list, the 201 in terms of ADP, and that's Deshaun Watson, quarterback from the Cleveland Browns. Currently my ninth overall player. He's currently ranked, as I mentioned, 13th overall, and he has shown that when he is healthy, when he is Deshaun Watson, when he is on a football field playing, he's got top five quarterback in fantasy upside. He contributes with his legs. He's one of the best pure passes in the NFL and now lands in a situation in Cleveland that has adequate support around him to be able to continue the dominance that he's shown from a fantasy perspective. Obviously, you know, the elephant in the room here is the legal situation of Deshaun, more so from a suspension standpoint. Is he going to get suspended six games this year, eight games this year, 10 games this year, or is it going to be 2023? Or if, is he going to get suspended at all? That is the main question mark, the uncertainty point that has people letting him fall to the 201. Not a concern for me. We play a long game. We're playing a, a long-term investment game in Dynasty. And even if Deshaun Watson misses six, eight, whatever, 10 games this year, we are still talking about a 26-year-old quarterback that when he is on the field is just behind guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson for me. And I feel like you can even make the case that he could be above him. Like genuinely, he has that level of upside, you know, 23, 24 point per game at the quarterback position type of upside. So being able to pair up Kyle Pitts and Deshaun Watson in your drafts right now is absolute money in the bank. Yeah, and as a passer, I think he's better than both of those quarterbacks. Easily, yeah. Um, Deshaun Watson's actually my seventh overall player. I actually have him higher than you do um, because the, the contract is what matters to me. Like, yeah, he 100%. might get suspended, whatever. Like, they're not going to cut him. They're not going to, like, nothing's going to happen from, a like, a long-term perspective. He might get suspended six to eight games or something like that, 10 games at worst or something. But Deshaun Watson is going to be a starting quarterback for a team that has, you know, good offensive line. They're probably going to add some weapons. I mean, they just added David Bell, who I obviously love in the draft. And uh, Deshaun Watson, to me, is going to be a locked and loaded top six, top seven dynasty pick the second he's off of suspension, which is why I already kind of have him valued there, because I don't think a suspension should impact his value that much. For sure. I have him again, as I mentioned, nine right now. And uh, the only players that are not quarterbacks ahead of him right now are the generational league winning receivers and Kyle Pitts. So if you want to make the argument that because he's a quarterback, you want to take him above Chase, you want to take him above Jefferson, you want to take him above Pitts. I have no qualms with that. I think he's deserving of that type of ranking in terms of dynasty. Right. And last time he was on the field, the Texans were terrible. They had like the sixth overall pick or whatever that went to Miami in the Tunsil trade. And Watson was a top five quarterback in fantasy, even though the team was awful, right? Like the, the Browns are just a much stronger team around what he last dealt with in Houston. And in Houston, he had a stretch of games in 2020 where he was like dropping 30 a game. Like it was insane. He won me that championship behind me uh, in 2020. He was part of the big reason why I won the championship. And Watson can make that difference in people's lineups. And I think people have forgotten that since he's been off the field for so long. So some of the busts in this area, and again, they're not necessarily (laughs) busts. They're still obviously great players. They're just guys that I think are a little overvalued. Similar point to what we said with the running backs. I have Cooper Cup eight spots lower. He's my 26th overall player. He's 18th on this list here. Cooper cup immediately puts you into that competing window, right? The second you select draft on Cooper cup, maybe you drafted, I don't know, Kyle Pitts in the first round or something like that. And you draft Cooper cup in the second round. Now you're competing, right? Like that's, that's it. You have no more flexibility. You're immediately competing. So these competing only pieces that go in the first, second, third, fourth round, they're going to be guys that I'm lower on because I'm looking to maintain flexibility as long as I possibly can into round four, into round five, so that if I decide to, if my league is all going young players, I can choose to compete or vice versa. So Cooper Cup to me is just going to be a guy that I probably don't own as a result of uh, you know him going too high in startups. I'll let other people take that 
you know, risk. I have him on, uh, in one league, but I got him last year when he was, you know, an eighth, ninth round pick or whatever. So I'm more comfortable just holding him now rather than, uh, you know, trading him or something like that. But Cooper cup going a little too high for my liking. I know he had a historic wide receiver season again. I doubt it's going to be that great again next year because teams were, are obviously going to scheme against him now. Not that they weren't before. Um, but I think, you know, top 20 is a little too rich for a 29 year old wide receiver. Well, you're talking about, again, he's going to be 29 years old. This philosophy that myself and yourself believe in in dynasty is that when you are drafting within your first three or four rounds, you're investing in real estate. You're not investing in cars. Cooper cup is a car. The next guy I'm going to talk about is a car. You know, right away, you're going to enjoy them. You're going to have fun. They're going to produce like, you know, you're going to really enjoy that first year for them. But guess what? As soon as that car leaves the lot, it's already decreased 20 plus percent in value. That's exactly what's going to happen. If you take Cooper cup and you take my guy, Christian McCaffrey in the second rounds of your dynasty drafts, you finish your dynasty draft. You finish your startup draft, put either of the guys on the block. If you took them in the second round and see your comparative return compared to some of the guys here, like AJ Brown, Jalen hurts, Brees hall, etc. It makes no sense. If we know post draft that we can get Christian McCaffrey plus for, you know, a Jalen hurts or uh, one of those other insulated values or assets. Why are we taking McCaffrey ahead of him in the startup? This is the, the classic case of seeing that eye candy on the clock and realizing that, oh, he's going to produce me a lot of fantasy points. I really like this player. This player is going to be very, very good without understanding the actual market that goes into it. Cooper Cup and Christian McCaffrey are nearly unmovable pieces in Dynasty right now. You need to probably beg an owner to trade for those guys from your team if you even want remotely close to adequate value. It is that hard. Ask an owner right now if they would be willing to trade two 2023 first for Christian McCaffrey, and I can tell you the answer is going to be no. Right, and there is pieces in here that you could potentially get two 2023 first for Absolutely. in exchange for like Trey Lance, like you know some of the other guys going in this round, some of the running backs, Deshaun Watson. Uh, maybe Russell, Russell Wilson. Wilson or Jalen Hurts. Maybe if they're, um, you know, fully invested into guys like that. If it's a tight end premium, maybe Mark Andrews um, fetches that kind of value. I agree. I think if you can say definitively that the guy is going to be worth less than he was worth in the startup after the startup, then you probably shouldn't draft that player. And again, maintain flexibility as long as you possibly can. Let's get into the round three, guys. We have just an absolutely egregious name leading off the round, and I'll talk <laughs> about him and uh, when we get into the the overvalued players. But my biggest value in this round is actually T Higgins. Because I have T Higgins midway through the previous round. And it, this kind of goes without saying, but if any of the guys fall from like round one to round three in the ADP, then obviously they're huge values as well. But we're just operating under the assumption that this was the draft. And T Higgins to me as the 15th overall player on my board, he is my third overall wide receiver just behind his teammate Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Since AJ Brown got traded, I moved T Higgins ahead of him. He's a guy that I'm comfortable taking in the mid second round. I'm never going to have to pick him that high because most people will let him fall to like the two, three turn area. And I'm smashing that all day. If I get a, a you know, elite quarterback in the first round, come back around on the other side and I can stack AJ Brown and T Higgins, then I'm, I'm golden. Right? So T Higgins, yes. Is he ever going to have a wide receiver one overall finish unless Jamar Chase gets hurt? Probably not. But I think this is back end wide receiver one production for the next five years. And again, if you're playing dynasty in a two to three year window, four year window, five year window with a young wide receiver, that's pretty much all you can ask for. I don't think he's ever going to have, you know, a 25 point per game season, but he's going to be locked and loaded 16, 18, 19 points per game in a great offense attached to a great quarterback. 
Yeah, uh, I'm going to keep it a buck. 311 is egregious for T. Higgins. He's currently my 17th overall player, a player that I feel comfortable taking in the mid-second round of Dynasty drafts. You kind of uh, mentioned it. Again, he's my wide receiver four. I still have uh, my boy Dallas Cowboys, C.D. Lamb ahead of him. But taking him anywhere outside of the second round is a home run value. So the fact that he's going at the end of the third round is even more egregious. That's kind of a similar case I have to a guy that people are dropping because of a recent trade, but 140 rookie uh, targets in your rookie season doesn't grow on trees. And I'm talking about Jalen Waddle, wide receiver in Miami Dolphins, currently my 23rd ranked player. He's currently going off the board as the 29th player in Dynasty. And it doesn't make sense to me. Every you know, every sign that we want to see from rookie receivers, being able to command targets, being able to be the focal point of your offense, being able to um, produce with your targets, all that realistically Jalen Waddle showed on display last year. The fact that Tyree Kill is coming in does not change that projection for me. Yes, as you kind of mentioned with T. Higgins, does it limit his ceiling that he has another elite receiver there? Absolutely. He's not going to be the wide receiver one overall, most likely in any given year. But you're talking about top five to 10 type of production for the next, you know, five to 10 years. Jalen Waddle can do that in spades. He commands targets. He's elite after the catch. He's one of the fastest players in the league. And we're talking about an ascending offense in Miami with Mike McDaniel coming over and with the potential step we could see from Tua Tungavaloa, adding another elite threat, elite playmaker on the outside. I am smashing the button on Jalen Waddle in the third round of any draft I can get my hands on him. Yeah, I would say... You know, the worry is is Tua, but I think if Tua doesn't work out this year, he's going to have a new quarterback. Yeah. So it's it's not really that big of a concern for me long term. And uh, I think we could just move right into the bus here so we can keep this video yeah. moving. I mean, Trevor Lawrence going at 25 is fucking egregious. Like I, I Trevor Lawrence looked like objectively the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. Like I know he was an elite prospect, generational talent, probably a first round startup pick in last year's uh, startup drafts. But I can't do it with him man. not 25. That's like way too high for me. He's going ahead of guys that are young still and have also proven that they're elite players. So I'm going to, I have him at 45 and I'm probably never going to end up drafting him because he's going to go way before I have him ranked. Trevor Lawrence went, what I do when I evaluate quarterbacks, I evaluate the situation around him. I don't like what Jacksonville's been doing. And side note, I don't like what Chicago's doing either. Who's also uh, probably the runner up for my list. Uh, for my bus list here would be Justin Fields. I don't trust these quarterbacks long-term and yes, they're young quarterbacks, they have high draft capital. They should stick around in the league for a long time. But I don't think that they're ever going to be elite fantasy quarterbacks as it currently stands right now, unless something major changes. This is where I'll slightly disagree. He's my 28th overall player, so he's still ahead of where I have him ranked. But, um, I mean, we're still talking about a 22, 23-year-old quarterbacks. Just because, you know, guys like Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott in recent seasons have kind of stepped in and been very, very good quarterbacks year one. Doesn't mean that should be the standard we hold for all these quarterbacks. I will agree with you that he had an objectively terrible rookie season, and there are question marks in terms of the management there, but he still got the talent. We're betting on that long term, and we know in terms of inherent value, in terms of potential uh, projectable upside, that if he is able to hit, if he's able to become a top 12 fantasy quarterback you know, this year or next year, this is going to be a guy that's going to increase his value weight all the way up to the top 15 overall pick. So I understand it because it is a very, very risky, very, very volatile pick. And if you want to play it safe, you know, some of the elite receivers going around him are probably safer bets, but I'm still willing to bet on the upside here, there of both him, Justin Fields, and a guy that is actually very, very undervalued that you're going to get into in a bit. Yeah, I think the difference between that guy and these two guys is 
while they all didn't have the greatest rookie seasons, at least that guy's team is is really, really building around him and making it hard for him to fail. And I think the Jags and the Bears are making it easy for their quarterbacks to fail because of, you know, adding. I, I think the Bears have signed every ra- uh, random non-relevant receiver in history of the NFL in, in recent days. I'm just seeing every random receiver like Tajay Sharps and yeah. uh, random guys like that getting signed to the Bears. So both of those quarterbacks, I would just say the second-year QBs, I'm t- it's too high. It's just too high for me. I'm probably going to wait until the fourth, fifth round to draft these guys. I'm never going to get them there. Never so, getting them there. Um, I'll let you talk about your uh, guys that are overvalued here. Yeah, and the reason why I'm more willing to take the quarterbacks is uh, the common theme of this video. I mean, heck, if you've made it this far, 30 minutes in, you can comment down below. Danny hates running backs. It's because I ain't taking running backs early, and it is egregious to me. As much as I love Austin Eckler, and as much as I think you know Joe Mixon's going to have you know a good one or two years in the next couple, the fact that they're going in the third round makes no sense. Currently, my 53rd ranked player for Austin Eckler and my 52nd ranked player for Joe Mixon currently going off the board 26 and 30, respectively, in dynasty drafts. Let's contextualize this. Do they have very, very nice, projectable short-term ceilings? Absolutely. I think both of these guys have a legitimate case to be a top five running back this year. However, are we projecting that for what? The next one year, the next two years, maybe if we're lucky, the next three. We're still talking about Austin Eckler, a 27-year-old running back, and Joe Mixon about to be a 26-year-old running back. If we're comparing them to other players in the in this range, again, you want to rank them here amongst running backs, I'm fine with that. If you want to rank them, you know, in your top eight, your top seven amongst running backs, go right ahead. But when we're comparing them to guys like DK Metcalf, Devontae Adams, T. Higgins, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill. We are still getting elite uh, receiver seasons, elite receiver ceilings from those guys, only projectable long-term value going in their favor. Again, don't make this a case of me hating on the players. I'm hating on the market value here. This is what I talk about all the time. The inefficiencies in the market in terms of pushing up older, volatile running back values in your startup drafts is why I'm fading them all together. And that is going to be a common theme as you see throughout these next few rounds. I am not touching these overpriced running backs to, to save my life right now. Give me these young receivers. Give me these upside receivers. Heck, give me, you know, some of these quarterbacks that have a, a murky ceiling. Because at least I know if any of those quarterbacks hit their ceiling, they can be top five, 15 picks. Even if Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon go out next year and have top five running back seasons, they're probably going down in value regardless because everybody's consider, going to consider workload. People are going to consider age. People are going to consider, uh, you know, rookies coming in next year, that 2023 class coming in next year to the point where investing in them in the third round now, when we know, as I kind of mentioned with Christian McCaffrey, you mentioned with Cooper Cup, that they are more cars rather than real estate. Why are we taking them in the third round? Right. And I think, again, I'm not, not going to sound like a broken record here. Again, that immediately puts you in a win now contender. Yes. Window, right? Like the second you, you draft Joe Mixon, you got to compete. You can't be like, oh, I'm going to like compete in 2023 because we think Joe Mixon has two, maybe three years left of, of good production because he's attached to a good offense that's young and ascending. But Joe Mixon could fall off a cliff next year. Like we, we don't know. Like he's going to be uh, on the second year, I believe, of his extension. If he has an injury riddled season next year, they can cut bait with him. That's just how running backs are treated in the NFL. The NFL teams are getting smarter about this. They're not just going to pay running backs leave him on their roster for seven years, unless you're the Dallas Cowboys. So um, it's probably not likely that Joe Mixon returns value for from this time this year to next year, which is why I just wouldn't spend a pick on him. And I mean, we're going to have a field day in round four here. So round four is ADP on the board. There is just so much wrong with this. 
I would say the value for me is, uh, and me and Danny kind of disagree on this, but JK Dobbins is one of those running backs that I'm willing to draft in the first, you know, four, three rounds of leagues, because I, I do believe in the player. I do believe in the talent of the guy and I believe in the offense that he's tied to. So JK Dobbins, I actually have at 28 versus 42. He's one of the last running backs that I'm willing to consider in rounds, you know, the top five rounds or whatever of drafts. I do share the same sentiment that you do that once that running back falls off the board, your ninth, 10th, whatever running back it is, then I'm not touching running backs for a long time. And JK Dobbins is one of the last guys, him and Cam Akers are the two guys that I'm probably going to take. And then once they're off the board, um, I'm not touching a running back from rounds like three to six. Yeah, uh, for me, that cutoff is a little bit earlier. It's after Christian McCaffrey at six. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is currently my 25th ranked player. And the next best running back in my rankings is actually J.K. Dobbins at 49. That's just my philosophy. Again, if I'm comparing, you know, J.K. Dobbins to some of those receivers like an Elijah Moore, a Tyree Kill, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Devontae Smith, etc. I would personally just lean the receiver because, uh, again, I think those guys have very, very high projectable ceilings, are young have appreciability comparatively to as much as I love J.K. Dobbins, him being a running back. So I understand it in terms of running back position. He would be my next ranked running back. So if you're more of a running back truther than I am, go ahead. I think fourth round is probably about appropriate value, in my opinion, for J.K. Dobbins. I just personally couldn't pull the trigger. But I understand his value comparative to some of these other running backs going ahead of him. If you're talking strictly running back value, RB11 is pretty ridiculous. The fact that my bus I'm going to mention is going ahead of him. Yeah, which which is hilarious, but uh, I'll let you get into your 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 value here because I do yeah. also have this guy quite a bit higher. And my player is going to be DJ Moore. I'm currently currently ranked thirtieth player comparatively to forty eighth on ADP, and um, he's a polarizing player. I mean, the, the the negatives people might point out would be the quarterback play, would be the fact that he hasn't been a prominent touchdown scorer. But my pull case for him, for him quite simply, is. Not many players in fantasy football amongst the wide receiver position period can command targets the way DJ Moore did. 9.6 targets per game this past year, uh, a 28 plus percent target share as a 25 year old wide receiver. If we are consistently pushing him down in value because of the negatives to his profile that he hasn't scored touchdowns, he hasn't had a high uh, season uh, just yet. That's the type of player I'm willing to invest in because if those external variable factors end up coming to fruition, we are talking about a legitimate top five uh, finisher at the wide receiver position. DJ Moore's got the talent. DJ Moore commands the targets. And DJ Moore is the type of player that is going to have 15 target weeks, is going to have 17 target weeks, is going to be able to produce an elite level. The only like last variable that you need to come to fruition here would be that touchdown upside, which... Again, 10 touchdowns in three or four years isn't fun, but I mean, for a player as talented as DJ Moore, I'm going to bet on positive regression there every time. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm just trying to look at how many... The, the Panthers' offense had 14 passing touchdowns last year. Like, who's going to score touchdowns in that offense if you're only four of them? 14? Like, that's, that's such a low number. It, it is all really dependent on quarterback play with DJ Moore but it's a factor we can't control. We have no idea. All we know is that this guy had 160 targets this year, which doesn't grow on trees. There's like four receivers in the NFL last year that had 160 targets and DJ Moore was one of them. If we can get this guy competent quarterback play, he has the DeAndre Hopkins level outcome, right? Yes. Once DeAndre Hopkins got to Sean Watson, 
He eventually became the best receiver in fantasy. And DJ Moore has that range of outcomes as a possibility to him based on the external or the internal factors that he can control, which is getting open, commanding targets, and doing something with it as much as he possibly can. Unless he houses a 15-yard slant route, he can't score touchdowns because his quarterback will never actually put him in a position to do that. And it's just kind of funny to me because, again, um, he was, you know, what, the wide receiver 18 this year. Again, I'm not using, like, overall points uh, as a main, you know, prover of him. But he's, like, the wide receiver 18 this year being 25 years old. And the fact that he's valued as wide receiver 14 despite being 25 is kind of ludicrous. I mean, we're basically valuing him at what's shown to be closer to his floor, way closer to his floor than what his actual ceiling is given that target share that he commands. So absolutely love DJ Moore. If he's fallen to the fourth round of your drafts, that is an instant smash. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I still would, you know, take him around the range of like the, of JK Dobbins types at the the late third area. I think he's definitely yep. worthy of a pick like that. So the bust for me, this has got to be my biggest discrepancy <laughs> of anyone in this video. How the hell is Travis Kelsey going at 39 still? I think, the tough thing with Travis Kelsey is, yes, is he going to give you some like very high level tight end production? Yeah, but like we saw this year for the first like 14 games of the season, he was like a he was a top five tight end because the tight end position stinks, but he wasn't like giving you that far and away. I'm the best tight end in fantasy type of production, and he needs to give you that for this pick to be worth it, right? Like there's no if ands or buts about it. If you take a 33 year old tight end in the top four rounds of your, of your startup draft, he absolutely has to be four to five points better on a point per game basis than the next tight end, which he has in his range of outcomes. Cause he's Travis Kelsey. Tyree kill is gone. He has a very, very high target ceiling. But as we talk about the, the philosophy that I'm always sticking to is a rising tide raises all ships. So Tyree kill being gone means that Travis Kelsey is now the center of attention for defenses and Marquez Valdez Scantling and McCole Hardman and sky Moore, as much as I love sky Moore. Are those guys enough to take attention away from Travis Kelsey and still keep him as efficient as he can be, keep this Chiefs offense as efficient as it can be? And it took a step down last year from what we've typically seen the last couple of seasons. So, I mean, I'm not taking Travis Kelsey anywhere close to this range. If I have a competing team and he's on the board for me in the seventh, eighth round, that's when I'm going to start to consider Travis Kelsey. I'm not even thinking about him in round four. Yeah, I mean, I have him, you know, a little bit higher than you relatively, but still compared to where he's going, I'm extremely low. He's my 74th ranked player. Again, you mentioned 39th overall in Dynasty. I am, you know, less concerned about the immediate redraft case of him. I think he's still going to be, you know, a top five tight end this year. But where is his value going to be after this year? When he's a 34-year-old tight end, probably going to have less production than he did in the recent years past, given the fact that this offense is not going to be the same. Yes, people are going to say, well, if Tyree Kill's gone, he should command more targets. Yeah, but Tyree Kill, the factor that he does is change the way defenses prepare for KC. So we're not going to see as much explosive plays. We're not going to see as much consistency from him. We're not going to see as much consistency from this offense. The main allure of Travis Kelsey right now is that he's attached to the right arm of Patrick Mahomes. And that's the only reason he's even going this high for a lot of people. As soon as that, you know, glare or that glimmer or that, you know, distraction of that disappears after this year, and he's a 34-year-old tight end coming off his worst year in the last five years, he's going to be around eight pick. He's going to be around nine pick. He has a case to be similar at the tight end position to what we've kind of seen from Ezekiel Elliott's ADP at the running back position. Travis Kelsey could be the tight end version of Ezekiel Elliott by the end of this year. I think this is going to be a hot take, but like, I think Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski shouldn't be going that far apart. Cause like you're getting pretty high end tight end production for a, an older tight end, 
but like, it's not, you shouldn't be paying up as much. Like Travis Kelsey at the beginning of dynasty draft season, like right around May last year was valued as 7,000 in terms of his value on keep trade cut. His value now is 4,500. He went down 40% after a season in which he was pretty good, especially at the end of the season, but he was, you know, relatively disappointing, I would say um, to where you were expecting. So another year of age, you know, potentially uh, less efficiency, we could be talking about like a glorified version of Zach Ertz and a better offense. Like I just, I, I don't think he's worth a round four pick whatsoever. I would easily take even some of the guys that I don't like on this list. I would still easily take all of them over Travis Kelsey. And I got one point here. Cause I know there's going to be people in the comments saying, wow, you guys like way overvalue youth. Like, are, don't you vet, uh, value these veterans who have proven it? Yada, yada, yada. But last year in your startup drafts, I can bet you at least 50% of your startups Travis Kelsey was going above Kyle Pitts. How did that work out? Travis Kelsey did not have a bad year. He was a top five tight end. I mean, comparatively to the year before, obviously, but from a relative standpoint, I mean, he was still a top five tight end. He still produced targets, except as we've seen, appreciability is a real thing. Range of outcomes is a real thing. So taking an asset in dynasty that you'd know, despite having a good year, doesn't have a projectable increase in value. Why are we taking them at that current ADP? This is not redraft. We're not specifically focusing on points here. We're focusing on projectable long-term value. So, I mean, Kyle Pitts versus Travis Kelsey was a prime example last year. And as we've kind of gone through in this video, there are a ton of examples in this year's ADP as well that we can take uh, into our advantage to capitalize on an efficient market. Right. And um, kind of like you just said, too, with Travis Kelsey last year, he pigeonholes you into competing immediately, right? Cause you probably had to take him in like the second or third round last year and you're pigeonholed into competing right away. You probably didn't even win your championship because Travis Kelsey wasn't that good for the first like 10 weeks of the season. Wasn't a huge difference maker at the tight end position. And now, I mean, round four, if you want to take veterans in your dynasty startup, by all means take veterans, but I'm probably not looking towards them till round five, round six, when I know what my base and my foundation of my team is. Cause if I went, let's say I went Patrick Mahomes at number three overall, I went AJ Brown, T Higgins at the two, three turn. And in round four, I took JK Dobbins. So I have a solid, um, you know, base of players, guys that are young that could fit either a rebuilding or a contending roster. Maybe I went another wide receiver in round four instead at round five, round six. If I want to take Joe Mixon, if he's still on the board, I can do that. I can compete with that team. If I want to take Kenneth Walker instead, I can do that. I can rebuild with that team. So it's all about staying as flexible as you can, as long as you possibly can, to make sure that you're not pigeonholing yourselves. And Travis Kelsey is the A-plus version of pigeonholing yourself into competing right away. It'd be like if Tom Brady was going in round four, because I think Travis Kelsey is a year-by-year basis type of player. I don't think you can project Travis Kelsey for three, four years of production. I think you have to do it one year at a time, and that's what it is with Tom Brady at the quarterback position. So I'll let you get into your bus, and then we'll close this out with round five. Yeah, so uh, I, I quickly want to find a couple names too, uh, and I'll find them throughout the argument. But if you guys watch the channel, you'll kind of know based off this graphic, based off the first name that shows, who my bust is going to be. And Dalvin Cook in the fourth round of a dynasty draft? Like, I couldn't believe when I saw where the, the community values this guy. Can we take into perspective for a second that right away, as you mentioned, Taking Dalvin Cook instantly pigeonholes you into a win now, 26-year-old running back that you're, you know, getting projectable upside with. But let's look at just last year alone. Dalvin Cook and PPR averaged 15.9 points per game. Other win now type of running backs um, that finished above him are guys like James Conner and guys like Leonard Fournette. 
But when you actually compare their dynasty ADP, again, all of them being win now running backs, all of them being you're banking on your one upside. Leonard Fournette is currently the 707. And James Conner is currently the 802. So these are guys you're getting literally more than three full rounds after Dalvin Cook, despite the fact that they outproduced Dalvin Cook last year. If you can tell me right now that you can flip Dalvin Cook into like Leonard Fournette in a 2023 second, you know, James Conner in a 2023 second, I'm smashing it all the way, even as a contender, because quite frankly, those two guys are probably going to be ahead of Dalvin Cook in my redraft rankings. So if we're comparing him to guys that I legitimately will have ahead in my redraft rankings, while also not getting that long-term projectable value insulation with a guy with the touch workload of Dalvin Cook, with the injury history of Dalvin Cook, with the fact that he fell off in terms of efficiency and in terms of overall fancy output last year in Dalvin Cook, why are we taking Dalvin Cook? Also still has a legal situation that never really got resolved yep. as well. So yeah, that he's just, there's no way I would draft him in round four, like not even close. Egregious. Reason I put out a video titled sell these running backs. Now don't be caught holding the bag. And Dalvin cook was on the thumbnail of that video because yeah, like the, the touch workload is a real thing. It's something that we have to take into account. And again, he pigeonholes you into competing right away. And you don't want that as part of your uh, dynasty roster, especially this early in a draft in round four at the four Oh four. And it depends you know, on what your league market dictates, because maybe he goes in the seventh, eighth round of your league because everybody knows this about Dalvin Cook, not to draft him this early. But if you play in a more, you know, redraft players in their first dynasty league type of league uh, market, then Dalvin Cook's going to go this high. And you're you're better off just, you know, skipping the running back position, collecting value, maybe punting year one and going into 2023 and trying to recoup your running backs in that class. So let's get into the final round of ADP here. Um, my biggest value, is uh, Zach Wilson, who we kind of teased earlier when we were talking about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. The, I actually have him ranked straight up over both of those guys because they were comparable prospects for me. Justin Fields, maybe as a runner, is a little bit you know better from a fantasy perspective in terms of his ceiling, but Zach Wilson's team is doing everything they possibly can to make sure that Zach Wilson is successful long-term. Will it work? I don't know. I, I have no idea, but... Zach Wilson was a prospect I believed in coming out. He has a great situation around him, great offensive line, great wide receivers, et cetera, great running back that they drafted in Brees Hall. If he fails, it's all on him. And I'm willing to take that risk on Zach Wilson, who, in my opinion, was not that different of a prospect than Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields coming out. So Zach Wilson, I have him at 42. He's going at 57 right now. If I'm in a super flex league, he's like almost always my QB two target in drafts because I know, and me and you kind of differ from this perspective. I love getting, you know, an elite quarterback one, let's say Deshaun Watson in round one or, you know, Dak Prescott in round two or something like that. And I like coming back in round four to get my QB two, whereas you are more so a guy that likes to get two quarterbacks by round three or something like that and get a better quarterback three rather than two great quarterbacks and a Met quarterback three kind of thing. So the way that I build teams, the way that I approach drafts, Zach Wilson in the fourth round is always a, a, a you know, something I'm looking to do. In fact, I drafted Zach Wilson in the fourth round after taking Jalen Hurts in the second round in our, in our tone setters league. Oh yeah. You snipe my ass and uh, you might be disappointed when you hear this. Okay. Guess where I have Zach Wilson ranked. Is it lower than where he is here? I am higher than you. You have him higher than me. He's my 36th overall player. So I fully agree with everything you said. Again, I have him lower comparatively at quarterbacks. But as we know from watching this video, I have the quarterbacks way higher than you do. I agree with everything you said with Zach Wilson. They surrounded him with everything he needs. He's a talented quarterback. You got an ascending offense. That front office, quite frankly, has shown that they will do everything in their power to make sure he succeeds. I am more than fine spending where I currently have him ranked the last pick of the third round on him. 
I'm fine with making that investment on Zach Wilson. I believe that's going to be able to pay off. So agree with you on Zach Wilson. Great pick. Um, my players are actually going to be two guys that I'll just kind of join together. And uh, I'm just going to label this the rookie wide receivers, Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson. Currently, uh, the relative wide receivers 16 and 17. So basically exactly where I have them ranked. But as we know, I mean, I'm not taking fucking Nick Chubb over him. I'm not taking Alvin Kamara. I'm not taking ETN. I'm not taking any of these running backs over two locked in top 20 overall elite profile type of wide receivers, the way Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson represent. So, I mean, I don't really have to say much more. This is just my philosophy. Bet on young, ascending, talented receivers over running backs that pigeonhole you into winning now right away. Yeah, uh, those guys are studs, and they deserve to be going as I currently have them ranked 40th and 41st as opposed to the current ADP of 55 and 58. Right, Like, if you tried to tra try and trade Nick Chubb for the 103 right now, because that's where Traylon Burks is going in rookie drafts. See, if you can get the 103 for Nick Chubb, then it's essentially the same thing, but you're never going to get that type of value for Nick Chubb. You'd be lucky to get the 106 to 108, I think, for yep. Nick Chubb. And that's, you know, obviously an another tier down at wide receiver. So, yeah, the fact that they're going after in startups, don't draft players that are going to go later or they're going to lose value Our after the startup state. before we even play games or anything. They're just immediately going down in value after the startup. You want at least players that are going to hold their value after the startup, if not go up in value, like we said, for Kyle Pitts. So the honorable mention for both of us, the a guy that we really, really wanted to include, but uh, unfortunately didn't really meet the criteria for both of us comparatively to obviously this exercise being the biggest discrepancies. Deontay Johnson, we currently have both very far ahead of his current 49th overall ADP. He's my 34th overall player. Where do you have him ranked? 36. 36. So, I mean, this is a guy that I'm, I'm comfortable taking at the back end of my third round in my startup drafts, an elite target getter. Uh, people are going to point to the fact, oh, well, what about Pittsburgh? Murky situation, yada, yada, yada. He was top 12 overall wide receiver last year, despite playing with the corpse of Big Ben. I don't care if Kenny Pickett's bad. Big Ben was awful too. So if this guy's commanding targets and this guy showed top 12 elite level type of upside last year, I think he was the wide receiver eight last year. Why is he falling to the wide receiver? I mean, wide receiver 15 is probably fair, but why is he falling behind guys like Dalvin Cook? Why is he falling behind guys like uh, Derrick Henry, Antonio Gibson? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, he's my wide receiver 12. I have him, you know, well ahead of this. He's the target hierarchy there, right? It starts yep. and ends with him and Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Calvin Austin, whoever else. They get targets after Deontay Johnson gets his. Yep. That's how it works. As much as we love Chase Claypool last year and thought maybe he could be the number one in this offense, it's not him. He's not it. Nope. It's Deontay Johnson, and that's basically where it starts and ends. I mean, we can just group these guys together. They're both the same type of the player. The They're both 26-year-old running backs. Nick Chubb and Alvin Kamara. I have Nick Chubb at 82 versus 51 where he's going in this. You have Alvin Kamara at 72 versus 52 where he's going in this. We're just not going to draft these running backs this early. It oh. pigeonholes you into competing right away. Copy and paste the same argument we made for Dalvin Cook. They're both you know, up there in age. They have over 1,000 touches under their belt. And Nick Chubb and Alvin Kamara specifically too, from a redraft perspective, are they going to be like top three running backs for us? No. Like if you could say no. guaranteed they're top three locked and loaded redraft running backs and you want to, you know, compete this year, then you know, fifth case. round is understandable. But yeah. Um, I mean, when we're talking about Chubb and Kamara, RB 16 and 17 is probably like not egregious. Like I, I would say that's relatively I have fair. Them, I think I have them ranked both higher than that. I think I have them like yeah. at, I, I think I have Kamara at like 14 and Chubb at like 17 or something like that. Yeah. It's just the fact that they're going again. I'm not a big Mac Jones fan, but I would rather, you know, a locked and loaded quarterback, two, three Kirk Cousins type over 
two years of Chubb and Kamara. I would rather Traylon Burks easily. I would rather Derek Carr, Zach Wilson easily. Garrett Wilson easily. I mean, when we get down a list of guys going behind them that we would say we would comfortably take over these win-now running backs, yeah, it just kind of shows that these running backs are being propped up by a lot of people in their startup drafts because people draft with the, the mindset that I got to fill my lineup, I got to fill my lineup, I got to fill my lineup. So they feel like they have to take these running backs high. The main takeaway you should get from this is don't feel forced to fill your running back position. If you miss out on that select, you know, top six for me personally, I don't mind punting the running back position all the way to the Leonard Fournette range, all the way to the James Conner range, all the way to, heck, I mean, you want to get, you know, J.D. McKissick, James White types as your RB5, 4, whatever. I don't care at that point because guess what? The running back class in 2023, very good. Running back class in 2024 also projects to be very good. So why are we spending top startup capital on guys with such low shelf life when we're going to see a purge of the running back position within the next couple of years? We could see, you know, up to 15 jobs being taken within the next two years. We're talking about an influx of talent similar to that 2015 to 2018 range we saw at the running back position. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. I do actually have Kamara quite a bit higher than you do. Um, he's more so in line with where I have him um, because I Legal do love you know, the pass catching like ability. I think he does have a little bit more longevity from that perspective, but still a guy that uh, I, this is where like the first pivot point for me is. Cause if I go in the first four rounds and I want to go and transition into a win now build, like Kamara would be the type of target that I would look for, but Chubb, especially too high for me. So um, if you guys enjoyed this video a little bit longer than we usually like to make these, but yes, if you did that. enjoy this video, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel. If you are new as well, if you guys want full access to our dynasty rankings manifesto, like we said at the beginning of the video, our top two hundreds for one quarterback and Superflex fully updated into the sheet right now. So if you guys want to go check that out, the link is down below for that patreon.com forward slash fantasy stock exchange. Or if you want, you can go and sign up on underdogfantasy.com using promo code FSE. You'll get 100% match back on whatever you put in. So if you put in 20 bucks, you'll get 40 bucks on the site to play with. And you'll also get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto totally for free as a thank you for using our code. So one of two ways you can get the rankings if you're interested in them. If you have a startup coming up, I highly encourage you to go out and get them. Um, but with that being said, peace out. We'll talk to you soon.